All right, so I uh, talked a lot about ta- uh, Medzora, but I didn't talk a lot about Tazria. And I also did not finish second Kefa. So in the Tazria Medzora RPM, which again, RPM means redemption, please Mashiach, redemption per Mashiach, you know, and I work on another thing that that can also mean if anybody else has any ideas, because I love acronyms. Acronyms are great. But anyway, um, ARG acronyms are great. <laughs> anyway, so just having a little fun. So anyway, in the intro, I started on second Kefa because I was going to talk about Lot and how he was exotic. And he was exotic compared to the depraved, wicked ones of Sodom. But then Mashiach Yeshua brings down in one of his, the gospel accounts that, you know, had these same things been done before Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have long repented before, you know, Israel. And it's just kind of like, wow, that's ridiculous. So what did we do that lowered us beneath Sodom and Gomorrah? Wow. Anyway, so that's kind of crazy. But to get back over here, we're in second letter of Kepha, chapter two. I ended with uh, verse five because I was all hyped up about Noah being a preacher of righteousness and then I launched off into the children of Noah because there's a whole Noahide thing. It's like, oh, yeah, sons of Noah, you know, Noah, the Noahides, they don't do Torah. And it's like that. If you really follow that out, that's kind of weird because the sons of Noah totally knew Torah and they did Torah, you know, so it's kind of interesting. Namely, the Jewish people descend from Noah. So, you know, son of Noah Jewish people who were Torah observers, kind of like, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, obviously there's room for dispute on that, but I ain't trying to dispute. Why? Why do we need to dispute? Why do we need to dispute something that is just fact? Something that we know all mankind needs to be doing, which is observing the Torah. Messianic era, what's that all about? Again, I talked about that in the intro, so I'm done. Verse 6. It says, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, reducing them to ashes as an example of what is coming on the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a Zodic, distressed by the depraved conduct of lawlessness for that Zodic, Living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. I wonder where Kepha's source is for that. Because I ain't heard nothing about Lot's suffering in Sodom. Mm. But anyway, it says, if all this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So anyway, thank you, Hashem. We successfully finished that snippet from Second Kepha. So the Zodic among the lawless. And again, the reason that was brought up is because Mashiach sits at the gates of Rome 
as a person afflicted with Zarat, which is full of the evil speech, the, the defaming and the piercing of name and the plaguing of names, which, by the way, is related in Gematria to Metzora. So Bezrat Hashem in my notes, we'll get to that. But yeah, so Mashiach it sits at the gates of Rome, just like Lot sits, sits at Sodom. Uh, suffering because he's among those who are lawless. The gate to Rome that enters us into Christianity and uh, non-Jewish stuff and lawlessness of all kind. That's where Mashiach sits, uh, where there's this quarantine because of all the afflictions that happen because of ungodliness and lawlessness. And it's like Sanhedrin 98 points that out, that Mashiach is there. And he's there until he's summoned for the final redemption because mankind wakes up and decides, oh, I don't want to be lawless anymore. And I want to be in relationship with Hashem. And Hashem's like, oh, they're they're ready. All right, Mashiach. And it's like, OK, I only have one bandage. So I'll finish wrapping that. And here I come. You know, because the lepers, they wear these bandages and these coverings. And at the gate where Mashiach is sitting, it says that the the lepers unwrap all their bandages and then they change it all out at once. But Mashiach goes one limb at a time. So he doesn't undo all the bandages because he could be summoned at any moment. This is why no man knows the day or the hour, which again, this whole Sanhedrin 98 tractate talks about when the redemption can come. It can come in its time or it can be hastened, you know? So it's like, will we repent or not? Will we be worthy of it or not? There's all that taken into account. So anyway, I want to go ahead and jump to this source because I don't want to forget it. And I meant to share this last week, but we have a Chavenger who is Isha Shamui. And she is the Shomer version of the invisible woman. So the one who can be invisible, do the force field thing and bubble people up and fly and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, her. She was reading in to be a Jewish woman and found out this really, really, really nifty little nugget. Or shall I say bombshell? Um, here is what she shared with us. And obviously I told her to get some help. Please send me a picture of that source. And what's wrong with you? All of the above. Okay, so anyway, page 94 Again, to be a Jewish woman, it's interesting that this is in this book, because I know we pray as gentlemen anyway, we pray, thank you, Hashem, for not making me a woman, but I'm kind of like, well, can we put this in the men's book since we don't want to be a woman and like, we don't have, you know, to be a Jewish man, and at least to my knowledge, I haven't seen that book, and I don't know if this source is in there, but anyway, this is what it says. He also gave us mitzvot to observe so that we could feel that we earn the good things he grants us. Talking about Hashem. It says one of the major purposes of the Jewish nation is to sanctify God's name by doing his will. One of the main purposes of the Jewish nation is to sanctify God's name by doing his will. To this end, we are each we are each, say each, each, okay? 
supposed to serve God with our personal strengths by which we fulfill both individual and national missions. Each of us with our own personal strengths. Okay. It says originally each of the 12 tribes used a slightly different version or new sock of prayer. You ever heard of, uh, are you Ashkenazi? Are you Sephardi? Are you Yemenite? Are you Moroccan? You know, it's like, those are what's called Nusak. So Ashkenazis, instead of Shabbat Shalom, they say, good Shabbos. You know, and Sephardis, we say Shabbat. We say, um, zit zit. You know, uh, Ashkenazis say Shabbos and Zizis. You know, if you ever see Shamos or Kisese uh, or something like that, that's Ashkenazi. Lots of our uh, sources that we read from actually are very, very Ashkenazi. So that's why you'll see the, the S's a lot of times where there should be T's. So anyway, just throw that out there. And up until COVID-19... There was a big new sock difference during the week of Pesach where one group was like, yeah, rice and beans, totally kosher for Pesach. And the other group was like, nah, no, it's not. But yet both groups are considered Jews. Well, did you know there used to be not only about two or three or maybe like four or five or six, but 12 different new socks. And that was because that was the tribe affiliation. So your, your new sock, your, your uh, customs, so to speak, as far as the generalized version of it, was depending on what tribe you are. So it's like the Sephardim or such and such tribe, the Ashkenazim or such and such tribe, Yemenites, so-and-so, and, uh, you know, Moroccan, so-and-so. I'd like to think of myself as a Moroccan Jew, but again, I don't know what the new sock of Dan was. And I don't even know if I, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I know I'm a part of the tribe of Dan. Don't want any more tests on that. I'm good. All right, Brugersham. <laughs> so I just need to figure out what our new sock is. But anyway, it's not about me. It's about these sources. Each new sock was designed as the particular vehicle by which each tribe was supposed to communicate to God through prayer. Okay, so, yeah, we have different ways that we pray before Hashem. We all say the Shema. We all say the Amidah. We all say the Birkat HaTorah. You know, we all say, you know, the Matovu and all these different things. But we have different prayers that we add in. Like if you get a Sephardi Arab Shabbat Sador versus an Ashkenazi Shabbat Arab Shabbat Sador. Oh, my gosh worlds of difference. It's like this prayer is said at this time. And then, uh, there's a whole lot of prayers till you get to the Kiddush, you know, Ashkenazi, you know, it's like straight to the point. It's all melodic and it's like, boom, done in out. All right, cool. We're eating. And yeah, so that's just a, a small example. And then it goes on to say that the reader may be familiar with Ashkenazic and Sephardic and Lubavitch which is the new sock Ari 
variations in prayers. These and other versions of standardized prayers derive from the original 12 versions that were said by the Jews according to their tribal heritage. We are not normally allowed to change from new sock from a new sock of our personal ancestors used to a version that belongs to another group. This illustrates the uniqueness of each tribe's path for gaining access to a shim. So the beautiful thing about that is we technically shouldn't be hopping all over the place on different new socks, but we don't have a way to trace our tribal heritage back hundred percent for everybody. And so when it comes to that case, until that time comes, you know, you can't get upset with another Jew for whether or not they do a certain prayer that you're normally used to doing. We're all supposed to be praying to Hashem together with our own strengths. So, you know, for what that's worth, I thought that was really neat. And per my notes, I dropped that in on the section of what are we talking about here? Hashem him, or Hashem will reveal himself when all the tribes of Israel are united uh, in the whole section of the Shon Hara from Parsha Medzora. So I just wanted to spring out with that pun intended, because, again, Medzora means a spring of evil name. So uh, we don't want to be that. But the first thing we got to realize is identities. And if we can get our identities straightened out and understand as Jews, we're not all like robots. You know, some people have longer prayers, additional prayers that they add in. Some people have shorter prayers, shorter prayer times that they have. Some people sit when they pray. Some people, some people stand when they pray. Some people actually lay down when they pray. Shouts out to Javendra Cola. It's Cola Day. It's the Coca-Cola classic, I guess. But anyway, Cola, our Shomer version of Storm, was uh, reading one of these tractates of uh, the Talmud about two um, sages who were actually davening. I believe it was Ma'ariv together. I could be wrong, but it was one of the prayer times where you say the Shema. So it was either Ma'ariv or Shakarit. But one was like, all right, we're going to do Shema. And they were like, okay, cool. And the other one like laid down and the other one was like sitting and it was like, what are you doing? We're saying Shema, like you're supposed to be sitting. And it's like, no, 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 you, you can sit or stand or whatever. It could have been standing too. It, it was between the postures is what the point is. Cause I'm just quoting this by memory and I hate that I don't have the source right now, but that's okay. Cause I, I remember the point. The point is that when the other one laid down or stood up, the other one did the opposite. So that way, when people viewing them would be like, now, how am I supposed to do the Shema? It's like, well, the, the best way to do the Shema is to do the Shema. And ultimately, that's what it boils down to. Everybody stands for the Amidah because it literally means standing prayer. But guess what? You can't do the standing prayer if you're sitting in traffic and it's Minka time. Thanks to COVID-19, chances of that happening now are slim to none, unless you just want to drive and you're stuck in your car and it's Minka time. But still, you can probably just pray before you go somewhere and you'll be covered. 
but you're allowed actually to do the Amida sitting in your car. Like if you're waiting to pick up somebody, you know, you're in the pickup line somewhere, you can do your Amida right there. So yeah, you're supposed to stand for the Amida, but you can actually do a sitting. Or, hey, you just had an operation, you can't stand right now because you're going through rehab and whatnot. So standing is very hard for you. So guess what? You're sitting for your Amida. But guess what? You're doing the Amida. And so that's the whole point that as Jews, we're all serving and blessing Hashem. But some of us have a few different elements that we have going on, you know, and it's just kind of like, okay, it's not a big deal. And again, so Rabbi Anava Shlita, which means may he have a long and good life. Amen was bringing down that he gets questioned, you know, are you this Jew? Are you that Jew? Are you this? Are you that? And he's like, I'm a human being. And they're like, okay, but what kind of Jew are you? Uh, a Jewish one, you know? <laughs> so I just love his, uh, his candidness about that, but that's literally how we all need to be. So when you really think about the overarching point of all of that, all this rambling I'm doing, how in the world can you say whether or not someone's a legitimate Jew because of their conversion, whether it's accepted or not. Because they converted by, you know, if they're a guy that got circumcised and there was the, the immersion in the mikvah, there was a whole idea and the understanding of you're no longer an idolater. You now repudiate idolatry in your Shomer Shabbos which means all the rest of your observance is working itself out. But we do know that you're keeping and guarding the Shabbat. So the fact that you're doing that, you've actually entered into all of the mitzvot, which means now you're a person who fulfills the mitzvot. So even if you haven't finished a uh, formal conversion yet, you're already living a Jewish life because you've already started dressing as a newt. You've already started eating kosher. You've started kashrooting your kitchen you know, along with, again, the main thing you're doing is keeping the Shabbat. So just by doing that, I mean, you're already ahead of the curve. So by the time you get your formalized conversion, you've already been living it. You're just putting a public stamp on it, you know. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so just to not be disheartened if you can't do a uh, formal conversion yet. That doesn't negate your Jewishness. That doesn't negate your living it out. So you can learn Hebrew. You can do the prayers. You can study the Torah portions, you know, and get involved in community and, and figure out what the parameters are for all that until your your formal conversion is finalized. You know, again, myself, my wife and I, we haven't done the hoopah wedding yet. We haven't done the uh, final immersion yet for uh, being converted, but we're Jewish, you know, and if you tell us we're not, then that's uh, slanderous. So I would not suggest you do that because again, we're talking about Medzoras and we don't want to be that. So I'm not going to go up to someone and be like, have you got married under a hoopah? And it's like, well, no, but we we have a marriage license and we're certified by the government and whatnot. And it's like, oh, well, that's, that's not a real marriage. You're shacking up. Chasve Shalom, I do that because, first of all, I don't know what their circumstances are. Maybe they didn't have a hoopah because they didn't know they needed a hoopah. And maybe 
they're just now coming into Torah and realizing, oh, yeah, your marriage needs to be under hoopah. You have to have a ketubah, all that good stuff. Like, what's a ketubah? A ketu what? You know, a tuba? Like, what do I need a tuba for? That's a, a instrument and a band. Like, that sounds weird, you know? Like, so there's all these different things because as a convert and as a, a person who repents and returns home to the faith, whether you were born Jewish or not, or grew up in a Jewish household or not, or you're familiar with observance or not, we're all coming in from these different places like airplanes at an airport, you know, and it's like the fact that you made it to the airport. Let's just start there and let's just move forward together. And that's the whole point of the whole world being in quarantine right now, because we all have made it to this point where Hashem is like, OK, are you going to repent? I'm stopping you right now. Before we go forward in time and go forward into, you know, the next phase of the world, like, are you going to repent or not? You know, because now everybody's had the opportunity to get with the program. You've had all the time in the world to be on the Internet and be exposed to teachings of all kinds. You get to pick your flavor and you pick your flavor and you're rolling with it. OK, so now as we move forward. You can't be like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, I didn't know. I wasn't ready yet. I didn't have time. It's like you had all the time in the world. Okay. But anyway, we all have to move forward together and understand that there are different dynamics to the levels of observance where we are. But if we're all saying the Shema, if we're all, you know, keeping the Shabbat, if we're all understanding, learning and growing, then that's the important things. And you cannot say that someone is not growing because you don't see them growing at the rate that you are. You're like, well, I learned this. It only took me a year. It's like, well, what are your circumstances versus what that person's circumstances are? Because a, a person who doesn't have a bunch of children running around the house all day, you know, they're not in the same boat as someone who is a single person or who is a family that has no children or a person who works from home, you know, or a person who owns their own business or whatever, like it's check those dynamics out. Who has the greater opportunity to learn and the greater, uh, the greater ability to turn their ship, so to speak, you know, you got to focus on getting all your children to turn and start eating kosher and start learning the Yom Tobes and what do I do and what do I get them? What do we wear and all this kind of stuff versus what do I wear? What do I do and how do I want to celebrate? You know, so again, and then, you know, the leadership, you know, are you trusting your leadership? Because if you don't, you know, then, you know, first of all, if you can't trust your leadership, might want to work on that because they should be your leadership because you chose them to be. And if you want to nickel and dime them or if you want to uh, think that, you know, more than they do, you know, and all this kind of stuff, then why don't you start your own congregation, which is kind of harsh. But I mean, that's the that's really your only option, because what you end up doing if you stay in that position as you end up being that wellspring of evil name, you end up being a Mazora because you're like, I can do better than you. I know better than you. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? You know, listen to me. What's wrong with you? That's a terrible decision. 
you know, so we get ourselves into that boat. And it's like, for me, I realized when I was against my rabbi and my bait dean that if I was put in their shoes, I, I couldn't even do uh, half as better, you know, that as I thought I could than them. You know, because understanding what their roles are, their responsibilities, what's the dynamics of all that, and what does it actually take to lead a community? We th we think we know better because we're not in their shoes. But when we get in their shoes, we realize, oh, my goodness, never mind. I'm so sorry. So how awesome it is for us to act in faith and being submissive to their leadership, because we don't know all the details, but yet we can support them and come alongside them and and just be a person who serves. Be grateful to be a part of a community. There are many people who want to observe Torah and want to believe in Yeshua and be around other people who do that, but yet they're isolated. They're by themselves. They don't have a place that they can go to. They don't have the the connection, the interpersonal connection with any leadership and things like that. And so it's like, be grateful for what we have. You know, so anyway, so just from top to bottom, from bottom to top, left and right on all sides. We have to realize the dynamics of community that we're in. So I'll save the gematria for a better section, but let's just go with some Benny B, which is the ladder of Jacob on Parsha Mazora. He brings down that the healing of Za'arat is associated with redemption and with Moshe Rabbeinu. Shemot 4.6 uh, through eight talks about the conversation at the burning bush and the whole thing about, you know, him putting his hand in the garment and it's leprous. He pulls it back. Out, he puts it back in, pulls it back out and it's not leprous. So it says if the first redeemer is like the last redeemer, Mashiach, too, will be associated with the healing of Zaharat. The phrase as white as snow echoes the prophet Yeshiyahu, Isaiah as he describes the seemingly leprous spiritual condition of Yisrael and the remedy for her. So Yeshiyahu 1, 6 and 16 through 18. And I want to go ahead and pull up that commentary. All right. So let's go to chapter one. Ooh, snap. Okay. Navigating up in this. Okay. Verse six. Go ahead and quote that verse and then drop some commentary. It's like they took verse six out of here. What's the dealio? It says the purpose of retribution. God inflicts suffering to induce the victim to consider his waywardness and realize that he must repent. Did we not just read that in the Midrash says person got Zarat because they needed to Realize their waywardness and make shuva. Anyway, so that's the purpose of suffering and affliction. Both Jewish kingdoms, Israel and Judah, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. It says both of these kingdoms had been punished so because their heads, their hearts and every part of their bodies, that thoughtful, rational people 
should have recognized that the hand of God was beckoning them to return to him. Now, Yeshayahu laments that Israel has failed to heed the message. Same thing was going on with Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, by the way, that he was trying to get people to repent. But there were these name it and claim it prosperity gospel prophets out there going, oh, everything's wonderful. We still got the temple. God's not going to destroy us. God loves us. Don't you know it's all about love? Like that was literally their message. We're under grace and we don't have to worry about listening to God. We can serve idols in the temple. and God's not going to strike us down. How long have we been doing this? If God wanted to strike us down, he would have done it already. And he hasn't. So it's been years. And so it's totally fine. And Yermiyahu's like, uh, guys, y'all should repent. Hashem is really, really upset right now. You know, there's this whole thing with Assyria. There's this whole thing with Babylon. Like, might want to pay attention. And they're like, nah. And then Northern Kingdom gets taken out by Assyria. And then Southern Kingdom gets taken out by Babylon. And then everybody's like, oh, no, why are we going into exile? And Jeremiah's like, uh, if you guys only would have cried like this when I was telling you, then you would have not been in this situation right now and how crazy is that that during this final exile that we're asking people to return to Hashem and everybody's like nah don't do the Jewish stuff don't do Torah stuff don't be like that you know Hashem loves us it's okay we don't have to listen to what he says and it's like okay so though he's bringing the final redemption and mercy right now What's it going to be like for the actual judgment that actually has to come down because Hashem is a just judge that the wickedness and the evil that has been in the world, like the, all that atonement, do you really want to be on that side of the fence when he returns? Like, oh God, you're back. I'm so excited to see you kind of, but I'm, I don't really care for what you care for. So, you know, I know this is kind of an awkward meeting, but you know. I mean, just kind of playing that out, just thinking about it. It's like, so creator of the universe, welcome. You're here. Um, you built a temple. I hate the temple. I hate Torah. You know, it's like all these different things. Is that really the fence you want to be on when he shows up? Chaspe Shalom, that anybody is like that. Hence why we need a bunch of Avengers to avenge the world. If we cannot save the world, you better be sure we will avenge it. We will give every opportunity, whether it's through picture, whether it's through audio, whether it's through video, whether it's through text, or whatever other social media platforms and communicating platforms possible, we hit those airwaves and let people know, hey, you have an opportunity to return to Hashem. That's why we're going through what we're going through. And eventually this will be over. And eventually Mashiach will show up. Eventually we will have the third and final temple. Eventually, we will be in the Messianic era. Whether that's before we die, when we die, or after we die. Like, either way, it's coming. So, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether or not you'll turn your heart to God, whether or not you'll repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, whether or not today you'll hear his voice, the choice is yours. But you can't say you did not have the opportunity. Why do you think that Rabbi Griffin Shlita says, like the video and share this video to all your friends, all your co-workers, you know, and all the abroad? Why do you think we say that so much? 
We got to give the whole entire world this message because Mashiach Yeshua said it, first of all, in Matthew 28. And second of all, the other part about that, he also said on a different occasion that when this gospel is preached, then the end will come. When this gospel, this gospel of repenting, returning to Torah, when that gospel is preached, then the end will come. So, you know, we all got to do our parts. Verse six, it says, from the sole of the foot to the head, nothing in him is whole, only injury, bruise and festering wound, which is likened to the Zarat. It says they have not been treated and they have not been bandaged and the wound has not been softened with oil. Mm. Beshemin. Well, we talked a lot about oil during last week's Torah portion of Shemini, that there's the oil of a shem. That is this whole forgiveness and the grace of Hashem to bring us back in covenant and all this kind of stuff and all about eight and transcending natural naturality and entering into the supernatural and the covenant and all that. So anyway, that's for that time. But the way to cure leprosy actually is through the oil of Hashem, which is why the only time and I, I know I said leprosy. So Zarat. The only time Zaharat was actually cured was through the word of Mashiach, which literally his words is the oil of Hashem. So if you really think about the actuality and the reality of that. But verse six commentary says, metaphorically, the prophet says every part of the nation from the greatest to the lowliest was guilty of sin and deserved to suffer so all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. That was a whole thing about, okay, there's Zarat everywhere. Everybody needs to get in quarantine. Because why? All have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God. It says, but they had not healed their spiritual malady, malady by repenting. That's from the Targum. That's from Rashi. So again, if you think about the, the 10... Met Zoras that Yeshua healed of Zarat. The only reason they were healed was because of Teshuva, which was the purpose of the quarantine. That when the Cohen said, All right, get in the corner, and it's like, Okay, you got in the corner and you came back, he's like, All right, cool, you're clear. Or he said, No, what you know, no, nah, no, nah, get back in the corner, you know, mm you know, and it's like, Why? Because the eyes of the Cohen were looking for Teshuva. Same thing. Hashem's looking for teshuva. COVID-19 can go away if the whole world makes teshuva. Just saying. that That's the remedy. You know, we said it during Hakamatsu. We'll say it again. We are learning about coronavirus right now because we're, we're not crowning the king. And so now we have this crown. So it's like, well, if you want to get rid of this crown, then put the crown on the king. You know, so there's that says all your efforts to find relief from your ailments have failed. You know, people are looking for government government to step in. People are looking for, oh, I need other ways of uh, finances. I need other ways of, you know, uh, market and I need to figure out how to do this thing, you know, and come back strong from this. And it's like you can look for all the remedies in the world. But they're all going to fail because the ailment is here to say, repent. 
Hashem's got to be at the center of everything that we're seeking and desiring. And if we don't live it out from a Torah perspective, then we cannot expect to, to continue to go forth. It's just like Hashem's got all the time in the world and the universe and like ever because he he's outside of time. So he can literally do this all day. So, I mean, if you just think about it, it's like, I just want you everybody to repent. And it's like, well, we don't want to repent right now. We got stuff to do. And it's like, how much can you really do when you're in quarantine for a really, really long time? You know, people are going day so until quarantine. And it's just like, okay, so after you've done a deep cleaning, after you've vegged out on all your videos and after you've done all this, now what are you going to do? Because you're still in quarantine. You ever think repent should probably be one of those steps? <laughs> Convert, turn the Torah, study the Torah portions, keep the Shabbat. I mean, you're home. You're not working. Okay, unless you're an essential employee or somehow your business is not shut down, which, you know, Brukashem. But you have an opportunity right now to do it. The whole world keeps Shabbat. There we go. Whole world keeps Shabbat. It's over. We're done. We're out of there. Whole world keeps Shabbat. Now the whole world just keeps Shabbat and it's like, well, okay, done. I kept Shabbat. Now back to the normal program. It's like, no, 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 no. Keeping Shabbat means turning from your previous path. Because you know the same word for Shabbat is the same word for Teshuv, right? The same letters. Sika Shabbat rearranges to Teshuv, which is the root of Teshuvah. So, like, in order for you to actually keep Shabbat, that means you forsake the current path that you're on of rebellion and uh, perdition. And you're now like, okay, Hashem, what's the plan? He's like, I wrote it down. It's in five books. And there's a lot of oral Torah. And there will be a lot more oral Torah that's coming at you. But anyway, you can get started with this. Goes on to say that Peza. Pei Sari Ain says it is a wound that bleeds, which is Chabura, which is a bruise, and then Makateria is a wound that continues to ooze. So you got a bleeding, bruise, wound that continues to ooze, indicating that it will not heal. Hmm. All these indicators that it will not heal. And it says, yes, Yahoo mentions three methods of healing, alluding to the three major components of Teshuvah. You got a threefold wound and uh, illness, sickness, disease, whatever you want to call it. Well, guess what? There is a threefold healing. And it's called Teshuvah. So Teshuvah is an is actually a trinity if you think about it if you really want to go with that thought or theology the trinity is teshuva because teshuva is one that is actually in three parts which are one and what is that confession regret and resolving not to sin again that's from the abarbanel so actually we do need the holy trinity which is teshuva we, we need everybody confessing, regretting, and resolving to not sin again. And we're done. 
COVID-19, done. I just love how the word of God gives us the cure for the illness, which is funny. How long has Isaiah chapter one been here the whole time? Like, but we're not doing it. And so therefore we have this, this remedy that cannot be cured. I mean, we have this illness that cannot be cured, but we have this remedy right here that can cure it. And again, everybody is covering their mouth you know, and keeping distance and we're all in quarantine. And it's like, wow, we have a threefold circumstance. That's a threefold Ill- illness with a threefold remedy. Shh, come on, man. Really? So then it goes on to say the suffering will not hit only the people, but the country as a whole. Yeshiyahu was foretelling the future destruction of the ten tribes as a warning to the kingdom of Judah that unless its people repented, they would suffer the same fate. As is common in prophecy, he spoke in the past tense. Check this out, y'all. Prophecy is past tense as if the destruction had already taken place because a prophet sees the future as clearly as if it had already happened. A barbanel. So a past tense future happening in the present. That's prophecy. This is why you can't say, oh, well, yeah, the Old Testament and thank God we're not under that anymore. Uh, excuse me, that's something that happened in the past about something that's going to happen in the future and something that's happening currently. Which is why if you're a person who follows the Torah portions, you literally, if you open your eyes and ask Hashem to help you open them, you get, you begin to see, oh my gosh, I'm reading this in the Torah portion and oh my gosh, this is what's going on right now. I have a coworker of mine who before furlough, we used to talk a lot Um, but, um, he would always be asking me these questions. I'm like, Oh, you know, what's so funny. We're studying that right now. That's this week's Torah portion. He's, he just looks at me now. He's just like, I got a question for you. It's probably part of this week's Torah portion. I'm like, yeah, it probably is. And guess what? It is. And it began to be this thing where it's like, nah, no way, no way. This is not going to happen. I can't believe it. Now it's like, no, I believe it. And to that note, to that point, you know, we found out last week, right before Shabbat, that the mikvah that we're building at Sar Shalom for Lapid, you know, it's it's built on a spring. Like our mikvah is spring fed. So it's the highest level of kashrut possible. And it's like, can you believe that? What? Oh, my gosh. I, it's unbelievable. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That. That's the old me. The old me is like, I don't believe it. Unbelievable. No way. What in the world? What are you serious? Uh, Out of my mind to like, no, no, no. Blessed be Hashem. Because we're seeking to follow him and we want to bring the final redemption. And we ain't playing around about it. We're not just dressing up and playing shul. We're not just dressing up and playing Jew. 
This is serious business and we're acting like little children to receive the kingdom and to advance the kingdom. And we're taking a hold of it by force. No one's helping us on this mikvah project. We had to do it all on our own. Shouts out again to Captain Yisrael and our Beit Dean and our Rebid Zine and the whole team. Bada boom, bada bing. You know, like, so here it is that we're really just crying out to Hashem. We're seeking everything that we can do to serve him. And he's just like, you know what? I appreciate your service so much. Here's a spring. And by the way, the whole headquarters of Lapid sits on a spring. And it's like, okay. And we find this out right as we're getting ready to turn the tour portion to the spring. Okay, literally the spring of what are we going to do with our words? Are we going to be a spring of evil or a spring of life? Namely, Tazria Matzora. Because you remember, Tazria means to sow seed. It's in a Torah portion about giving birth. So if you add that to the Matzora, which is, again, Moti Shemra. So giving seed to a spring of evil name, evil speech. So... What kind of seed are you going to give to rectify that speech? Do you want to seed and, and continue to perpetuate evil speech? Or do you want to give seed and perpetuate something that is full of good speech? And I brought down that the Midrash Abba and Parashalek Leka says the word for blessing is actually related to the word for pool. And the word is brika. And so when we're saying our blessings, we're saying our prayers, literally being springs of life. We're creating pools, mikvahs from springs. And Yeshua said, if anyone placed their faith in me, then they will become out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water. So, you know, it's just kind of like, wow, we have to turn the corner now and say, you know what? We're not arrogant. We're not cocky about it, but we're grateful and now we're in line with the Shem and we understand that because we're serving him for his own sake, he's going to hook us up with stuff that are beyond what any eye has seen or what any ear has heard. Who's ever heard of a self-made community building a mikvah in the middle of nowhere? And it's the most kosher mikvah that's probably been built since the first century. And it's named after a mikvah from the first century that was spring fed. That was probably the main mikvah in Jerusalem. The chances of that all lining up. I mean, seriously. So unbelievable, incredible. Seriously, what are you out of your mind? I can't believe it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We can we can do that. We can roll with that. But what's also true is that what are we doing and what is Hashem's mission for us and why, why are we getting the opportunity to walk in this? It's not for us. It's for the world. So, I mean, I was like, yeah, I mean, when I found out about it, I thought about Legends of the Jews. That, that was my first thought. My first thought was like, ah, oh, I get it. 
Because why? Because in Legends of the Jews, book three or volume three, section one, going into us getting out of the sea and into the wilderness, it says that water, living water flowed underneath the very ground in which we walked. And I was like, this is just saying that we're walking with Hashem. We're walking in the way, the truth, and the life. And when you're doing that, Hashem does have springs of living water underneath you. And if you are a Medzora, that's the spring you have to bring yourself to with repentance, with confession, with a resolution to not do former things of rebellion. You're immersing that. You're out of quarantine. You're into redemption now. So it's only a matter of time before global redemption is realized because all these individual redemptions are happening. I'm telling you, if we all flood the world with blessings, with Lashon Kodesh, like holy speech, speech that repairs and speech that builds up as opposed to tears down and slanders. You fill the world up with that. You just watch and see what happens. Watch what happens to yourself. First of all, you will be redeemed. I know myself. I will be redeemed if I do that. And I'm working on doing that. I got all the quarantine time and I'm on furlough so I can do that. So I am doing that. And I'm like a shim. I'm freaked out. I'm freaked out about not having uh, a paycheck. And the whole thing is, yeah, even while you were making your paycheck homeboy, I was the one that was providing that. So why would I stop providing for you? Because you don't have a paycheck that you're making. And I was like, well, that's true. So I just need to make sure that I'm not being a lazy bum. And then uh, you'll continue to work miracles for me. It's like, exactly. You don't just sit on the roof while it's flooding and go, Hashem, help me, deliver me from this flood. And then a boat shows up and be like, no, Hashem's going to help me. And then a helicopter shows up, Hashem, it's going to help me. And you reject all that. And then you flood and then you drown, you die. And then you come to Hashem, Hashem, why didn't you help me? He's like, I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. So it's like, okay, so... Hashem, I want to pray for boats. I want to pray for helicopters. I want floaties. And I want to pray for uh, lots of challah because we're now out of Pesach, so I can eat that now. And uh, I want to pray for uh, the ability to be able to fly because that would be cool too. Because, you know, I really want to live up to being Shomer Man. So, you know, anyway, just throw just throwing stuff in there, you know. <laughs> it's just, you know, Hashem can do anything beyond what we can imagine so i'm like yeah okay i'll, I'll trust you in that with man is impossible with but with hashem nothing's impossible you put a male child in the womb of a woman who never knew a man uh i'm just asking for an iron man suit that's all i mean that's not too hard to ask is it i'm just asking for mashiach to return like that's not too hard to ask is it i mean you may a dumb from the earth. Like you literally brought forth humanity from the earth. Like, and I'm just asking for this one thing. So anyway, that's enough on that. So 
Motsi Shemra, again, I got that from G Shekel just to source out my, my craziness over here. That uh, he says, G Shekel, this is Gadai from India, Bet Yisrael. He brings this down. He says that the sages taught the word Medzora, which is commonly translated as leper, is derived from a combination of the Hebrew words Motsi, which means spring, wellspring, or source, and the Hebrew word Ra which means evil. Put them together and it spells Metzora, which is, uh, again, loosely translated as leper. It says the word Metzora actually comes from the Hebrew word for Zarat. This is crazy too because the, the Metzora is actually what Paro is or was because he contracted the Zarat. Uh, Midrash Shabbat Shemot um, so the Shemot Rabbah, uh, one and section 34 explains that the king of Egypt died. This means that he contracted leprosy and a leper is tantamount to a dead person. The sorcerers of Egypt told Paro, which is the king of Egypt, that the only cure would be to slaughter 150 Jewish babies every evening and 150 Jewish babies every morning and to bathe in their blood in the evening and in the morning. Okay, so that's super disturbing, but the blood of Jewish children, Jewish newborn babes, i.e. the blood of proselytes, if you will, because proselytes are considered babies. And this is actually talking about Jewish babies, but I'm going to the Remez level. And again, this is a very disturbing Midrash. So I apologize for just really going there without warning. But the point is, is that the blood that runs through us as converts and as proselytes and as those who repent daily, that's actually the blood that can cure leprosy. Because even the sorcerers in Egypt, they knew what Paro needed to do. It's like, Paro, you need the Jewish blood. Which again, what's the ultimate Jewish blood? That's Mashiach. So immersing in the blood of Mashiach, because we're renewing ourselves, we're making teshuva, we're repenting, we're entering in the sh- into the Shema. So every day we repent, every day we become born again, every day we become a newborn babe, and that's the blood we immerse in. So our very own laying our lives down, sacrificing ourselves, the blood of the Akedah, all of that is coming here. Like the crucifixion of Mashiach, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the reason why you took the hyssop and the two birds and you dipped one in the in the water in the blood and, you know, let one go free and the other one died, you know. So like your your previous former self is the blood that caused the uh, the blood that was from the one that died so that you can now go free. So the two birds and the uh, ritual is what I'm talking about. There's a ritual for the cleansing of the Mazora where you take two birds you kill one and use the blood uh, and water and hyssop and you dip the other blood in it and you let it go free and you sprinkle that on the uh, the Medzora, that concoction. So as that blood goes free and the sprinkled blood on the Medzora, now that person gets to go free. So that's a whole picture of the the one that died is actually when you're bringing yourself to die and then your new self now rises from that and you go free and you're covered in the blood. 
And again, that word for bird is Zippor, and Zippor is the same gematria as Mashiach. And that was brought down by Benny B and his Metzora drop. So anyway, so that's a few things that I wanted to say on that. And I think I got one more in me to do uh, some some drops on uh, Gematria. So stand by for Gematria.